the communication between the backend application and the database itself has always fascinated me, uh, especially with their many, many protocols really custom built for this communication. I'm surprised that we didn't have standardized on an actual on-wire protocol for that. Yeah, we did a standardize on the interfaces like ODBC and whatnot, but we never actually standardized on the communication protocol between the app and the database, right? I might be missing something, but as far as I know, there is no standard. Each vendor uh, kind of create their own flavor of a binary protocol fits their uh, needs effectively. You know, you Mongo, MySQL, Postgres, they have their own, have their own custom on-wire protocol. Yeah, all of them are probably built on TCP, most definitely built on TCP. At the end of the day, that's the only thing you have on the network, right? UDP, TCP, and maybe some other things, but that's that's the that's the ubiquitous protocol, right? But uh, if you've been following this channel and this podcast, if you're listening for a while, you, you might have uh, noticed me kind of advocating the use of a multiplexed-based protocol. What does that mean? The communication between the backend application and database is kind of interesting. It's like a proxy almost, right? a reverse proxy of some sort. Why? Because as a client, as a user, you almost never actually send the query, right? The backend application does. You, where you live behind all these apps, you will almost use a web app or a Python script, or some sort of a, I don't know, Electron app that sends something to a web server often, and that web server turns around and send one or more query to the database to fulfill your request. So that's why you don't even need a database user behind that. It's all hidden, tucked in. That's why one of the best practices, like, for backend application to create a user that is so long, a database user that you get a persist on the backend has to be so long and random and the password has to be super complex because no human is going to use it. Right? So it's going to be hopefully in a tucked in and not even saved anywhere. It's just probably in the process memory loaded up in an environment variable or whatnot. But regardless what you're going to notice is all these clients that they're going to talk to the backend, eventually going to pull in all these requests. But all of them are talking to the same database eventually. Right? So even if you have 100,000 users, those 100,000 users coming from different connections, right? The backend to database connection is, 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 a, is, is determined and will note. It's one backend, most of the time, talking to one database. Sure, you have replication and distributed databases, but that's most of the case. It's, it's limited. And the here where comes a concept called the connection pooling, which most of you listeners and followers of this channel know. The concept of connection pooling is 
it's pointless to have a connection for every single front end user. That just that doesn't make any sense, right? What you want is to pool these connections so that even if these thousand web clients comes in, we don't really need a thousand database connection. We can have one or two or three or 30. And then we multiplex, multiplex, that's how you multiplex, right? Multiplex things into these fewer connections. Right? So you create a pool of connection and do the thing. And uh, we can get into more details, but one of the most uh, ubiquitous things that was discovered is this problem actually exists on the web today, right? Where we have this kind of multiplexity. Is that even a word? I don't know. Where a browser talking to one domain may send multiple concurrent requests to the same domain, you know? Because of the mess we created that is called the web. Was CSS and JavaScript, 700 JavaScript files, and 300 bootstrap CSS, right? And so many other resources and JPEGs and images. So you find yourself talking, sending a lot of requests to the same domain. So what do you do? It's the same problem. Right? The same problem always appear in life. It's like, it's almost like life. I'm going all over the place. It looks like life is, is, is a pattern. Like these problems appear everywhere. Right? So you have these connections, like these requests, you multiplex them into one, right? Previously in HTTP 1.1, we didn't have that. We have to send one request per connection. And then we invented multiplexing, yeah? where we have HTTP 2, we can create one, beautiful TCP connections, secure and not all that stuff, and then multiplex all these requests into its own streams, like dedicated streams, and client-created streams are odd numbers. So you have one, three, seven, and you can have server-side streams and do magic with that. So this concept kind of applied to the database, so it technically makes sense for the backend application to use a HTTP multiplex protocol, such as HTTP 2 or 3, right? and use that on the back end. And that's what the topic of uh, this this video is. Right? And can we use HTTP 3 or HTTP 2 uh, on the back end? Right? Planet Scale? Planet Scale wrote up a blog article actually on January 4th, a beautiful article showing an experimental case where they used MySQL, they swept up their MySQL binary and replaced it with, with both HTTP2 protocol and HTTP3 and they show us the numbers. So this is what I'm gonna go through. I'm gonna go through this article and this could discuss and uh, see the benefits of HTTP3. How about we jump into it? Welcome to the Backend Engineering Show with your host, Hussein Nasser. This is the show where we discuss the art and the craft of building software and cover recent news on backend technologies. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and rate it on Spotify and Apple Podcast. With that said, let's get on the show.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. So this comes from planetscale.com. Uh, this comes from Matt Robinolt, entitled Faster MySQL with HTTP3. They do actually explain HTTP2 and HTTP3, and we're going to learn necessarily it's not really faster. There's areas where it's fast, and, and that's what we're going to focus on, right? So uh, let's read the blurb here, the background, and then discuss. The background. As a part of our infrastructure in initiative, we demanded new APIs and connectivity features for our database to support features that were not available on the MySQL protocol. We decided to stop bolting on a publicly accessible HTTP API. The API is not documented for public consumption just yet. I will, I will, it will be, I promise, but it is gRPC compatible. The HTTP interface led to the development of our serverless driver, Planet Scale Connect. In serverless compute context, your code is fundamentally not able to open a TCP socket and speak the MySQL binary protocol to us. The platforms require communication through HTTP, so it ended up being a nice fit. Oh, okay. So they're while they're talking about the serverless thing for security reasons serverless can't just open tcp so they effectively i think restrictive to http so it ended up to being nice All right but can http be faster than mysql protocol so you see a lot of people actually might have considered using http but kind of shied from http because of the concept of these headers the extra headers that has nothing to do with databases that's why database people don't use http but we always need to break into things and understand the benefits of using these protocols. Our new API aren't just gRPC. Specifically in our end, we use Connect Go, which is a gRPC compatible and gives us a bunch of a lot of features. One of these features is the ability to potentially use HTTP 3 as a transport. HTTP 3 to me started making things very interesting. If you and me here and I as the author, of course, not me, Hussein. If you're not familiar with HTTP 3, I suggest taking a detour of a bit of research, then back here, but just as the HTTP 3 is built on top of UDP rather than TCP using the tra uh, transport protocol called Quick. We talked about HTTP 3 in this channel, and I, if you're interested, go to my course uh, back in .com. I go even in more details there. Uh, my my theory was that the benefit of our, our new API start to yield tangible benefits. Let's see, what is the benefit? Okay, he, he talks about the setup here. Um, and uh, uh, we can kind of skip this setup. Just, we're not really interested in the setup. We, we know about the result. Yeah. Right, so they configured three configurations. The first configuration is the native MySQL binary protocol client with TLS 1.2, I wish they made this a little bit more clear, but it's not. Yeah. Uh, that's the first configuration because 
you still need to secure the communication between backend and database, right? And MySQL does support that through TS 1.2. You can do it through TS 1.3, but it's a little more hectic. Right? HTTP client speaking HTTP 2. Right? I, I really appreciate the, the language being used here. Right? It's very clear and, and you know, concise. HTTP client speaking HTTP 3 through what they call the PSDP, which is their planet scale database, right? Plus HTTP 3, right? Let's, let's go on and continue. We chose these because we wanted to see fundamentally if HTTP can compare to MySQL and if HTTP 3 yields any tangible benefits on top of HTTP 2. We're ignoring HTTP 1 since it's going to be objectively worse than both HTTP 2 and HTTP 3. I'm not sure about that. That's that's a that's a that's a statement. I don't know. <laughs> it it really depends what you're doing. You can't just assume it's worse, right? I mean, uh, we've seen it with many backend application and articles of people actually moving away from HTTP two back to HTTP one because their resource consumption just shot high. Because what, what they don't discuss here is the cost of HTTP 2 and HTTP 3. They only discuss the benefits, but nobody discusses the cost of HTTP 2 and HTTP 3. There is a cost associated with it. And if you handle it, sure, take it. Uh, but if you can't, there is a lot of overhead to manage these puppies. There is no almost zero overhead to manage this because it's HTTP 1 is native to TCP. It's literally text on TCP. Here, there are in wire headers for HTTP 2, like the streams, the magic stuff, the magic numbers, and the headers and the window sizes. And there's a lot of chattiness when it comes to HTTP 2 compared to vanilla HTTP 1, which is like really basic and simple. So I don't, I don't agree with that statement. This is okay. It's, gonna, it's going to be a objective reward. Can't just make statements like that, right? All right, so here's here are the tests. There they are. Connect plus select one. This is attempting to test the cold start. So what is cold start? Uh, to explain it, cold start is the we don't have anything. I want to send a query, but in order to send a query, we need to initiate a connection. Right? The work, the setup cost to send a query. There is like hidden cost, and that's the called the cold start. The next time you start up, you want to send a query, the cold start have already done, you already started, you can send stuff on top of your query, right? And so on top of your connection, sorry. It establishes a connection to us and runs a select one using the new connection each run, using a new connection each run serially, right? So that's what they do. There is a parallel. The test simply warms up a connection pool ahead of time, then runs select one in parallel, right? Um, medium select. The test reads 250 rows from a table with two columns, select star from medium. The total result size is approximately 50 kilobytes. Right? So the, the here they're probably testing the response, probably, uh, coming back. Insert the test doing inverse of writing in the same database in bulk. So they are inserting a bulk insert. So what we're testing here effectively is the size of the request. Whereas in the previous one, we're testing the size of the response. Right? Here, medium insert, we're testing 
because the intestine is going to be massive. So compressing that is really valuable, right? Becoming compressing is really becomes really valuable here. Large select, this test reads 100,000 rows. So 27 megs coming back, right? So the query is tiny. I mean, the size of the actual request, but the, what comes back is large, right? So let's look at the results, right? For those listening, we're looking at the connect plus select. So they are each protocol is tested against a connect. So that means creating a connection, encrypting the connection, right? Uh, that's the TLS session, and then sending the select one, which is a very simple query. Okay? And we're all, we're all testing the latency here. So it took MySQL native binary protocol with TLS 1.2. And again, I really wish they actually spelled that out. Right? It took uh, MySQL around one, what is that? 200, 175 milliseconds. Right? While their PSDB on HTTP2, it took it 50 milliseconds only. While uh, the, the HTTP3 is also 50 milliseconds, really identical. So 50 milliseconds versus 175. So you, you have 100 milliseconds. And the saving is, is the, the cost is really just uh, the connection itself. So the connection establishment, which we know it's all TCP, right? Except for HTTP3, which is quick, which is UDP. Still, there is a connection establishment. But... Uh, the cost really goes into this because TLS 1.2 is, is too round trip, right? You you have to first kind of flirt in TLS 1.2. says, hey, I support this and I support all these, uh, uh, you know, key exchange algorithm. I support these ciphers. Let's pick for me. So, and then the server says, okay, pick this. I pick the Diffie-Hellman and pick this. And then we go ahead and actually do the connection. Well, TLS 1.3 says, hey, you don't get a choice. I'm going to assume something. Let's always communicate in key exchange. And this is the development. And here's my parameters. Just go ahead and do it. Right. And then the server will pick the cipher, which is the symmetric key cipher, not the key exchange. The key exchange is already determined. Right. And then we'll pick the cipher. And then we'll tell the client, hey, I picked that cipher. And here's my parameter. Let's complete. By this time, server already has this session key. So that's why it's TLS 1.3 is way faster than 50% faster actually than TLS 1.2. And that's what exactly what we're seeing with MySQL. So nothing about MySQL is bad so far. MySQL is okay, right? It's just, it, I would really love to see the same graph with MySQL and TLS 1.3 and see if there is benefits for connection establishment that is, that's it, right? If MySQL binary can be built on top of TLS 1.3 or can be used with TLS 1.3, that's, that's fine. Let's read the highlights, which is, I think uh, they might mention some of this stuff. From my laptop, I expected a major improvement, but the, minim went, the minimum went from 162 to 35-ish millisecond to 35, not 50, over HTTP, while the max also stayed steady for HTTP and jumps uh, up quite a bit for MySQL. I suspect the biggest one here is fundamentally because of the TLS. Okay, well, that's, we kind of agree here. Uh, because of the difference of TLS. Both HTTP and TLS require HTTP 
both HTTP2 and HTTP3 require TLS 1.3, another false statement. No, they do not. HTTP2 do not require TLS 1.3. HTTP3 is built on TLS 1.3. You don't have an option. TLS 1.0, HTTP3 is built on Quick. Quick is kind of merged with the connection set up as TLS 1.3. So you do the send and you also establish the TLS 1.3 connection in one thing. The Quick setup is really one round trip. It is the TLS 1.3. HTTP 2 is built on TCP, right? And the TLS is kind of disconnected from the TCP. So definitely, of course, you can have TLS 1.2 on top of HTTP. So that's a wrong statement, right? So that's another thing. So I bet if you use HTTP 2 with TLS 1.2, then you're going to see a similar bump in latency in a negative way with PSDB HTTP 2, because that will just be slower, right? And of course, the TLS 1.3 also supports zero RTT if you have a already established uh, a session and that you can have a pre-share key extension, TLS extension, that will allow you to kind of encrypt your data and re-establish the session, right? Get a brand new, um, uh, brand new session key effectively and then go ahead and continue the encryption, right? And the server can re recreate this new session key just, just like that very quickly right on on the same breath so no round trip is required right well ts 1.3 by default is, is one round trip so you can actually you have to send and wait for one for the server to respond so you can actually send the encrypted zero rtt with the same breath if you have communicated before you can do that so it's really powerful stuff well in theory MySQL clients could also support TLS 1.3. TLS support in clients is typically not great. I have to agree. Right? It's, it's very slow to roll, uh, you know, older libraries with newer features like TLS 1.3. So in this case, negotiated with TLS 1.2. So they did mention this, right? Uh, I wish it's spelled out in the graph. Right? So MySQL should be like between parentheses TLS 1.2, right? Uh, this saves a full round trip when establishing a new connection. Yeah. So what was surprising to me, I expected this to only reflect it on high latency network and uh, geographic distances, but this was surprising better uh, on our EC2 instance on US West uh, from 11 milliseconds down to three to four milliseconds. Yeah. Okay, overall, it's very clear that HTTP, both HTTP, that HTTP, both HTTP 2 and 3, are substantially better for cold start. Again, can't just say that. You gotta try MySQL on TLS 1.3 to, if that is true, then, then you, you will, because at this point, there is, it's just connection has nothing to do with HTTP technically, right? We were testing connection establishment. So if you do the same thing with MySQL on top of TLS 1.3, which is most of the cost, then you should see the similar time, you know, uh, you, you should see very similar latencies effectively, right? So you can't just say, so I'll say like, oh, HTTP 3 and 2 is better. While these results all look relatively similar, to me, that's a good thing. 
we can see some improvement now they're doing the parallel select which kind of proves the point here the parallel select uh, one all the numbers are similar why the numbers are similar because the connections is what took time the rest of the stuff doesn't really buy you anything you know where this will actually be beneficial to actually see numbers which i don't think it exists is in a high concurrent environment which doesn't no test actually does that you should have uh like a thousand or twenty thousand requests pulled in into fewer connections try sending uh concurrently or start multiple transactions i don't know are off the cuff like three thousand transactions concurrently from the backend application to the database and let the let each of the transactions send a lot of queries test that on http3 http2 and mysql right for mysql you'll have to establish many connections because i don't think they support pipelining and postgres really started support pipelining recently but pipelining it always gets you like very weird results you know you gotta make sure that if you, if you send multiple requests one after the other on the same connection they better be executed in the same order and, and then give you back the results but yeah uh that that's what that would be a fantastic test and that same test will really measure now that's the, that's the second test what we what would like uh will be nice to see is the server the database server cost right, and the back end as well cpu wise and not much memory but cpu is most important because and here's the thing and the rest of the stuff is that really doesn't really matter we we don't need to go through it that's basically the summary what we have so let's, let's go through this what we need to see is the cost of http2 and http3 mainly comes back is to parsing what does that mean how this to understand that we need to understand how uh how networking works right? and i don't think we need the screen anymore so a very well-written article there are a lot of details here which we have more of course everything can be improved it's, it's a experimental at the end of the day they actually did mention great work from the planet scale team matt great job uh, i apologize i might be a little bit harsh in some poses just take it as just a criticism you can leave it or take it that's fine but uh very well written absolutely love it uh, we never seen anything like this before hdb3 using HTTP3 on a database so you guys are are pushing the boundary and this is what we need in uh, in the realm of database and backend engineering so kudos great work you guys uh, i know the work that have been must you guys uh, i know the work that must have been took you know to actually replace the client library so that it supports HTTP3 and HTTP2 and collect these numbers and uh, run all these tests right so fantastic work uh, keep up the good work and uh, with that said let's go and continue the discussion on uh, why uh, on why http2 and http3 is costlier so in order to understand that right the benefits of http2 and http3 is is really to me is the multiplexing nature yeah 
we have one backend application sending many clients. That's the number one benefit here, right? And that's why proxies like Envoy use HTTP2 on their backend. That's why gRPC use HTTP2, you know? The beauty of having to control the low-level stream, having the multiplexing features, really powerful. So we have established the connection once, and I can send many quests on the same on the same connection that's the power here but we gotta understand that at the end of the day these requests right sending a thousand query on a single connection will transmit into each of these query will be their own uh http2 or http3 i don't i think they call it datagram you know and then this these guys have their own headers. So HTTP2 have their own headers. It says, oh, this is the stream ID. This is, I don't know what. This is the window size. This is the, like in the case of HTTP3, this is the connection ID. So there is so much, you know, overhead to tagging these things. So each query that you send, yeah, sure, is going to be compressed, HTTP speak, and will be binary, but there is headers added. But at the end of the day, they will, in the network, they either fill on top of TCP, which is HTTP2, or UDP, which is HTTP3. So today in the Linux and Windows kernel, these protocols are not understood at the kernel level. The kernel knows UDP, and the kernel knows TCP. And it's going to do work for you in that la layer. So if you send these queries, will end up into TCP segments. And they're going to be carried into a bunch of TCP segments with the destination port, destination IP, source port, source IP. That's it at the end of the day. Yeah, these stream of segments will be encrypted by higher layers. And that's it. So what happens is these stream of TCP segments will arrive in the NIC, the network controller the network interface controller will be buffered, coalesced in some cases, some network card. And then this will trigger an interrupt, right, to the CPU or the DMA, the direct memory access in the uh, motherboard and all this stuff to trigger, says, hey, I want to transmit now this, please transfer this amount of segments that I just received to you, kernel. So the kernel will do uh, that will will instruct that uh, to the move from the buffer from the neck. This data is just at this point is just encrypted bytes, right? They go from the neck to the kernel memory. Still, the backend not even close to see any of this HTTP or three or or two data. Now the kernel will look at this and says, okay, which process actually uh, asked for this? Well, it's going to port this. Oh, so it's this actually. In this file descriptor, this socket. So let me copy this data into that particular buffer. So start copying this data into the buffer. And now it's up to the, the kernel doesn't even decrypt or do anything, right? It's just to, to the kernel, it's just data that it arrived. Now the backend application is responsible to call a function called read to actually read the data from the kernel into its own process virtual memory, right? That's what will happen. So now we're going to move the data from the kernel 
And what's this data? This again, it's an encrypted byte. We have no clue about streams. We have no clue about query. We have no clue about anything. So this data is copied into the process memory, which is now your backend application or the database server application, MySQL in this case, will will need to actually understand how to take these encrypted segments. First of all, because now we're layer four, right? We go up layer one layer, layer five, right? Session layer. And then we'll start decrypting. Just TLS will take care of this. So we, okay, which session key we used? Okay, this session key we used for this particular connection. Do the mapping. And now we'll start decrypting. That's a cost, right? Well, the cost of decrypting the content. Now we have a bunch of unencrypted stuff in my process memory. And even that will involve some copying and we're going to involve the CPU in the process, right? So now we have unencrypted data, but still the job is not done. If this was HTTP one, the job is done because that segment is the data. That's it. Because HTTP one is a simple text. Yeah? And then we can just group a, a bunch of unencrypted segments, right? And that becomes, oh, here's where the start of the request, here's the end of the request. Yeah? Binary, I have no idea what, how the MySQL binary looks like, but it would be something similar. They will start parsing. In HTTP2 and HTTP3, the job is not even close to done. And again, who's doing this work? Is the backend application and the database if it supports HTTP2 or HTTP3, right? Now, with HTTP2, now you have to start assembling this unencrypted data and then look for, not request, you look for streams now. So stream one is, oh, this header is now stream one. This is stream two. This is stream five. This is stream seven. And then start, start parsing to find the streams. And then once you find the streams, you find requests within streams. And this is another kind of parsing. Right? And that additional overhead is why HTTP2 and HTTP3 right, cost more CPU and slightly more RAM compared to native simpler protocol if you add something there's always cost to it and that's what the lucid chart i mean a few years back they they found out this problem right away they enable http2 blindly and all of a sudden they're back in application cpus just shot really high to 90 to 100 percent right because of the load of the this additional thing they are using and of course a lot of there is a lot of progress from the community, from the quick community and the HTB2 community to improve this the cost of parsing. I call it parsing. Maybe there is another word the community would like to use, but to me, it's just parsing. You're parsing the protocol to find out the actual content, right? But this can get better and better, of course, but that's the cost associated with using HTB3 and HTB2. If you have unlimited CPU and RAM, knock yourself out, use HTTP2 and GP3. Just understand the cost. If you really, HTTP1 is not that bad, really. The only badness, if you want to call it bad, is, is, the, is the lack of multiplexing. If you want to send a lot of requests in the same connection, you got to wait for the response to come back or the previous request before you send another request. There have been uh, 
you know, improvement on the idea of pipelining where you can send multiple requests without waiting for a response. But then there must be a kind of symbiotic relationship between the client and the server to guarantee the order of things that come back. If I send request number one, request number two, request number three, what if request number one will take, takes, takes longer than request number two? So the server can process request number two, right? And might respond before right if it responds before then the whole thing just breaks apart because now you got request number two before request number one and you have no idea is this the response for the first request or the second you have no clue right until unless you built it in the protocol itself such that you tag the response with the request you can absolutely do that in the application itself okay? and you can build something like that but again, there are problems with, of course, HTTP2, TCP, head of line blocking and things like that. But uh, again, I absolutely enjoy when I saw this on Twitter, I really enjoyed it. and thought, like, you know what, let's, let's make a quick video about this. Again, great work on, on this. And uh, I think there is, there is a potential for this. I just need to, I, I think, I still think we need to understand the, the ramification of this, you know, the cost, uh, the cost has to be highlighted to using these new protocols. Yeah. Uh, that's it for me today. Hope uh, you enjoyed this video. Uh, what do you guys think about this? Uh, let me know, call me out of anything I said. And again, thanks for Planet Scale, great articles. I'd love to see more of these beautiful articles, really. Good job, thank you so much.